In your Bible today, if you would, join me to the book of Acts, chapter number 8. The book of Acts, chapter number 8. And I trust that you've come to have a good time today. And uh, we're running real good on our time. And so I just thought we'd spend a little time with the Word of God today. The book of Acts, chapter number 8. I'd like to talk to you today about chasing chariots chasing chariots have you ever wondered why God saved you by the wildest imagination do you think God just saved us to sit would God save us if he thought that's all we were going to do just sit I'm not getting very many yes, no's, or amens. I have no idea. Do you think God would have anything to do with a salvation that does not obey? Would Christ have died for you if he knew that you were going to get saved and keep it to yourself? Does a person really get saved who intends to do nothing but get saved? If God knows all, and I believe he does, would God save you if he knew he was not going to get any more out of it than you are putting into it? These are just questions I thought I'd wake you up by. I'm not going to preach on that today. I just thought maybe you might like to check up whether you got a full dose or not when you came to the altar. I'm going to read for you a few portions of Scripture now. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 of the book of Acts. And we're introduced in chapter number 8. In verse 26, we're introduced to a young man by the name of Philip. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Not a preacher, a deacon. You'll never see deacon, I mean Philip's sermons in the sword of the Lord because his church is not big enough. He has no church. He is a part of a church. And God is about to use a deacon, a layman, not a preacher as such, but one who serves. And the Bible says... And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert, desert, desert. No big crowds, no hoopdalas, no cheers for victory, or no agony of defeat, just 
a desert. No one's watching. No one to say a good job. No one to write a note and say, man, I'm sure proud of your dedication to God. Just go down the road to the way of Gaza. It's a desert. And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Cadus, queen of the Ethiopians. And he had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto this chariot. Run it down. Chase it. I want you to catch it. Not because of the chariot, but because somebody in the chariot needs the Lord. And Philip ran thither to him, Verse 29, Then the Spirit saith unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I accept some man guide? People do not get saved without some man to guide them. Are you willing to be a chariot chaser? You say, well, I'm old and can't run. Chase old chariots. You don't have to chase one that's got a full race cam and a blower and punched out with 411 rear end and four speed. Just find one that's parked and chase it. You know, that's what happened to bulldogs. They were chasing parked cars. You'll get that later. And he said, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before the shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. A deacon preaching, a layman 
proclaiming the good news. Just a born-again child of God telling somebody else what happened to him. Is there anyone here today willing to be a chariot chaser? And they went on their way. They came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know, it would be hard to do that in a thimble full of water. You heard about the Baptist church in town that felt real generous toward the pastor. So they went out and bought him a brand new pair of waders so that he could baptize. The Methodists got jealous and went out and bought theirs a pair of rubber gloves. <laughs> and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way, he went on his way rejoicing. A great story. A wonderful tool of motivation to all who has been saved. If you know anything about the previous chapters, the church at Jerusalem is a very young church now. It was started by the Lord Jesus, not at Pentecost, but was started by the Lord Jesus doing his earthly ministry. And all the material for the first church, you can call it whatever you like, in the New Testament they were called Christian. But all the first church were baptized by John the Baptist. Every member was baptized by John the... We'll go on now. And the church was started with 12 members. One of them went astray. He's still hanging around out back someplace. And at Pentecost, there was 120 members met in the upper room and prayed for the power of God to fall on them. In Acts chapter number 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were assembled in one place. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and filled the house where they were seated. Now, don't miss that. The Holy Spirit came and filled the house where they were gathered. The definition of baptize is to immerse, plunge, or to dip. 
Somebody said, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Really? Others talk today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Really? To be baptized in anything, you've got to be completely immersed. Where it's pickle juice, bud light, or bud that ain't so light. To fulfill the world, the, the, the definition of baptism, you must be completely immersed. And on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that the place where they were meeting, it was completely filled with the Holy Ghost, therefore baptizing the whole new infant church in the Holy Ghost. The church begins to grow. Acts chapter number 3, 2, 3,000 folk get saved and are baptized. Acts 2.41. Acts 5, 5,000 men get saved and are added to the church. That makes 8,120 plus the men and women who came with the 5,000. Or the children and the women who came with the 5,000. This church at this time could be as large as 15,000 and they all go to church. Whether the Super Bowl is playing or not. Something unusual about this crowd, they like to gather together to worship God. Now, I want you to imagine with me just for a moment, you take 15,000 folks that are tithing down at the temple and you remove 15,000 folks from the temple and take their tithes and put in the local church. Do you think the priest is going to feel the pain? And folk get upset when people start going to church and not going to the temple taking the tithe to the church and not the temple. And there is a fellow about town by the name of Saul. He's an unusual, motivated individual. I mean, he is sold out, super sold out to Judaism. In fact, he stands by and is an instigator to watch one of the deacons named Stephen stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. You want to see this? Now, this is what it cost them to go to church and to have the message of the Lord upon their lips. The Bible says in verse 54 of chapter 7, and when they had heard these things, they were cut in their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Stephen, a deacon, not a preacher, a deacon, a layman. Somebody loved God, went to church and thought about winning people to Christ. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. 
Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and run upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You want to know how a Holy Spirit-filled individual acts in the face of adversity? Look at verse, 50, verse 60. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he went, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Church is growing. The temple is filling the Results, the spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over Jerusalem. Notice verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at this time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria except the apostles. You and I have a great gratitude to Stephen. Because when Stephen was stoned and the persecution began, it scattered the church everywhere. It's easy to get a lot of members and get your offerings to where it can take care of things and just settle in. The church at Jerusalem has now become settled. They disregard the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They disregard Acts 1.8 where it said, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Have you witnessed anybody this week? Has our church become a settled church? Are we too prosperous to chase chariots? Are we too afraid to chase chariots. Stephen is dead. Another deacon by the name of Philip now is on our mind. And he's been run out of Jerusalem. He no longer can go to church in Jerusalem because of the persecution and because of the, uh, the very, very threat of death and the disciples and the church is scattered now throughout all the region. The Bible says they were scattered abroad. Verse number 5, somehow another, Stephen is dead, but Philip now has been, has run for his life to Samaria. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. 
These folks who are scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Preaching the word. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits cried with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many were taken with palsies, and they were lame, were healed. Notice, <clears throat> and there was great joy in that city. Revival has taken over that place. Samaria has now turned to God. Folks are now experiencing the blessings of God. And in the middle of that revival, in the middle of the move of God, in the middle of that great, great move of God, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. I'm sure that there could have been an argument raised by Philip and talking to God says, you mean you want me to leave this revival? You want me to leave and there's so many folks needing to be baptized and followed upon and discipled? You want me to leave this to go down to a desert? I'm an evangelist now, not a chariot chaser. There are all kinds of excuses he could have made. We have probably made them ourselves. Well, I'm too busy. Uh, I'm afraid. Or I'm not a theologian. I can't. I, I don't speak well. I, 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 I. He could have used any of those. But vote, notice verse 27. And the Bible says that he said, and he arose without argument, without excuse, a deacon, a layman, experienced a revival, been run out of Jerusalem, went to Samaria. Dear God, I could build a great church out of this bunch. And God says, I want you to go south. The only thing I know about that, it's better than going north. You'll get that after a while. You don't ever want to live where they say Ewans. It's you all. No, it's y'all. It's y'all, yeah. And he arose and went. Not knowing now. God didn't tell him that there'd be an Ethiopian eunuch. God did not tell him about the chariot. He said, I just want you... To leave this revival, leave where you're real comfortable, leave where you're having a good time, leave where you're seeing the blessing of God. I want you to leave there and just hit the road, Jack. And by the way, it'll be a lonely road, it'll be a desert road. Is there anybody here today who would say amen? Today we see in our Bible evangelism at its best. Today we see someone who believed the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. 
And he that winneth souls is wise. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. Bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. Oh, you don't want me to sing. We shall come rejoicing. How long has it been since you rejoiced in your salvation? By the way, if it worked on you, it'll work on anybody. Notice, if you would, please. A man of Ethiopia. To a Jew, a man that is unclean. To a Jew, a man who, if you even caught speaking with him, you could not worship in the temple for so long a time. You had to be cleaned. You had to clean this up with, with, with acts of uh, mercy. And uh, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch. I was reading a commentator today that said this fellow was probably a eunuch. I don't know which translation he's reading. It says he's a eunuch. You know why he's a eunuch? He watches over the queen. He's in charge of the queen. And the king don't want any queenly business going on. So the man is a eunuch and is over the queen's treasure, secretary of treasure of the queen. Notice, if you would please. And in charge of all her treasure. And he had been to Jerusalem. in your Bible for what? He's been to Jerusalem and he's left Jerusalem as lost as he was before he went. There are many just like this fellow right here, this eunuch, who's sitting in their homes, their cars, the ball games, and they're lost, meaning they do not know the way. Money is not the object because the eunuch had money at his disposal. Authority and prestige does not fill this man's need or he would not have traveled the many, many, many hundreds of miles from Africa to Jerusalem just to get the answer. All about us today. There are people who are lost, meaning they're rebellious against God. That's what a sinner is, a rebellious person against God. You say, well, I'm not rebelling, then get saved. I'm not rebelling, then act like you are saved. 
I'm not rebel. Yes, we all have a rebellious nature. And just because we get saved, it does not mean our nature leaves. It just means we got some another nature to help us with that nature. The old Indian chief that got saved as the evangelist passed through, and a year later he came back and he asked the chief, Chief, how's it going since you got saved? And the old chief says, Oh, just like two bulldogs fighting inside of me. One won't do good, one won't do bad. Any of you folk have that problem? Well, the chief got very coming, the evangelist got very curious, and he said, Chief, which bulldog is winning? The chief said, just whichever one I say sick them to. Which bulldog are you sicking? Adam's nature or God's nature? Your nature or God's nature? Let me help you today. All about us are people who are rebelling against God, do not know they're rebelling against God, does not realize they're rebelling against God. And all about us, people today are sitting in the chariots of this world with no answer and no hope. Waiting for somebody to cry out. Do you understand why God put you on this earth? Do you understand that God has a divine plan, a divine purpose? They're sitting there thinking they're just a little speck in this great big phenomenal being and they do not have the answer. They're lost and on their way to hell. About us today, somebody waiting for you, for me to come by and just say, have you heard the most wonderful story ever to fall from human lips? It's an old, old story. It's about a man named Jesus who loves us and died for us. Could I please show you for just a minute? I'd like to talk to you, first of all, quickly this morning. Chariot chasers. I want you to look, please, at a wayward sinner, if you would, please. In verse 30 and verse 31, the Bible says, Notice, if you would, please. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read. Heard him read the prophet of Isaiah. And said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. A wayward sinner, a man that could read. A man who had the answer in his hand and did not understand it. I wonder why. And then I looked this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And it said the natural man cannot receive spiritual things. For they are spiritually discerned. Could I help you, please? If Brother Jim was lost, and I could take this Bible and wrap it up in a cannonball and blow every bit of it down his throat, he would not understand one word of it. 
because a lost individual is dead in trespasses and sins. Dead men don't understand anything. And in this chariot is a lost dead men, dead spiritually, if you please, because the Bible says that God told Adam, the day that you eat off that tree, you will die, surely die. And that day when they disobeyed God and ate off that tree, God separated himself from them and they died spiritually. And today a lost person sitting in the chariots of this old world are lost. They can read it, but they cannot comprehend it. They must have some man to guide them. Dear Lord, we need to open our eyes. Someone has said, if you do not care about other people being saved, you probably are not saved. This man, this wayward sinner, could read. He was a man of religion. He had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He had traveled from Africa up all the way through Egypt, along the Mediterranean seacoast to Jerusalem. He was searching for that true God. He must have tried the many religions of the area. When he came through Egypt, he must have checked out all the gods in Egypt. He must have also tried the gods of the Babylonians and all the other gods. But he had heard about the one true God. The one that took Israel through the Red Sea. The one who had taken care of Israel for 40 years. Their clothes did not grow old and their shoes did not wear out. He'd heard about this great God. And he made this trip. I know what he made it in. In his chariot. All the way. You ever watch Lonesome Dove? It's like Gus dying and making his partner swear to him that he'd bury him in Texas. If I'd have been him, I'd have cremated him put it in the envelope, and send it to my friend in Texas. Imagine thousands of miles this eunuch has traveled. Not for a job, not for a position, but he was searching for God. The only one that can put meaning in his life. The only one that could fulfill and fill that God-shaped empty void in every human heart. God did not create you to function without Him. A sinner that is not saved is like the little fish 
that we take from the water his natural God-given habitat and lay him on the beach. And he lays there just flopping back and forth, trying to find his natural habitat until he flops himself to death. A sinner that is not saved is trying to function outside of his God-created habitat. And he bounces from this place and this thing and this joy and this thing and this thing until he dies. Then I have to lie about him at his funeral. This eunuch was so empty and void, he's willing to travel hundreds and thousands of miles to try to find this God that can fulfill his need. Not only a religious man, but a man of reputation, a man of prestige, a man that's high in the government, looked on by many as having it made, looked on and if you please, envied because of his reputation, because of his place of prestige. How many people do I know that quit chasing chariots and now chasing a job or chasing improvement or chasing a higher place in life? Well, I want you to know, when you dive to the bottom of this old world, you'll come up with more rocks than you will jewels. How many do I know that has prostituted their life in this old world and forgot God and died empty and void of the precious Son of God? A man of reputation, a man that read, a man that was religious, and a man who had not repented. He had not repented because he didn't know he needed to repent. He did not repent because he didn't realize he's a sinner. He had not repented, and the Bible says Jesus is preaching. He said, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Repent? You mean I need to repent? You sure do. The Bible says, the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. Every smile on my kid's face when they're not asking for money. Realize how good God has been to me. I've only got a couple of them out of jail. And it was temporary. When your kid calls you late at night and says, bring cash, you bet you ain't going to Walmart. Repent. God is not slack concerning his promise, says men count slackness. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, preacher, when I got saved, I, I just thought it was a free trip to heaven. The message of the New Testament is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I, I guess so. 
I get, I get so worried, I'm done. This is the first point of four points that I've made no point. But thank God my sermon's like bologna. We just slice it off here and eat the sandwich and slice another slice next week. Thank you, buddy. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I think maybe there have been some that has majored on the faith toward Jesus Christ and minored on repentance toward God. Repentance is a godly sorrow for sin. It's not sorry you got caught. All of us can get sorry when we get caught. And boy, what repentance we have when we get caught. Kind of like my kids. When I said, now, I don't believe in corporal punishment because everybody is listening over the television radio, but I believe in whooping the devil out of them whenever they do something wrong. And my, my kinfolk had a razor strap. I don't know if you folks are ever familiar with a razor strap. You don't all have to do that with Gillette slide free and auto auto powered razors but those old straight razors they used to have them razor straps you know and there's some of them that was single barreled and you could turn it over and but there was some that was double barreled and you do that and then there's another strap now my, 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 I always got the benefit of the twice barrel kind and buddy when I knew it was coming, I could throw on repentance in a hurry. Hmm? I could even whoop up tears. I, I, I'm talking about, I could wallow around in my phony repentance. But I wasn't repenting because I did what I did. I was repenting because I got caught. And I was repenting because I'm fixing to get whooped. But repentance... Godly repentance is godly sorrow that you committed the horrid sin against God. And that sin, whether it's lying, homosexuality, whoremongering, or just spitting in the street when they say you're not supposed to, that sin is against God. Not against me and not against dad, it's against God. And when you realize that what you did nailed our Savior to the tree, and you look past the Savior and look into the eye of God, you'll see a tear kissing the cheek of God. He's dying for my ungodly sin. And I'm sorry that my sin hung my Savior on the tree. I'm not sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I did it. Answer that. That might be the president wanting some more advice. 
And the advice I give him wouldn't be like he's getting. That's probably why I'm not one of his advisors. You think that may be true? My wife won't even let me advise her. Why should the president? Well, at least I quit crying for a while. A man who had not repented. Could I ask you a question today? And I'm through. I'll finish this rest of it this afternoon in my study to myself. Have you ever genuinely looked God in the face with all the concern you could muster? Have you ever really been sorry that you sinned against God? And have you ever said to God, I'm sorry. You see, to get saved, there must be repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 21, verse 21. Wednesday night, we just had an old-fashioned repentance service. And a lot of God's children just came to the altar. And I don't know what they did, but I'll tell you what you should have done. You should have repented of the sin that's in your life and exercised faith that Jesus is the one that's going to get you to heaven. That is the first and last point of four points. I hope you really get the point.